Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. You know what I mean? It just doesn't compute, you know? The law is the law. Peter, this is in our hands. I mean, it really is. People were there. We will continue to raise our voices. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Don't forget that Eclipse is this morning. Uh, kicks off... Around three or four minutes past ten, it'll be at its peak about six minutes past eleven, and then it's over around midday. And here in Cork, they say anything between 28 and 30 percent of the sun will be covered over. Under no circumstances should you ever look directly at the sun. You'll blind yourself before you can blink. If you look at the sun through anything, even if you look directly at it without any kind of protection, you can blind yourself or damage your eyes very, very quickly. So whatever you do, please do not do that. Uh, If you are in a place where you get a good sense of what's going on with the eclipse, then we'd love to hear from you during the morning. Now, it's dull and foggy across the city, but it looks as if that might lift enough for us to see the effects of the partial eclipse. We're keeping an eye to it. And of course, astronomy.ie are streaming it live They'll probably have a good visibility. They have a big whacker of a telescope focused on it. So we'll get a live stream from the astronomy people during the morning. But it's just a fascinating thing. And the science of these things is endlessly fascinating. So we'll watch that between now and midday and see if there's anything spectacular. And if there is where you are, do let us know. Particularly if the birds go quiet. The last one in 2015 affected the birds. The birds went very quiet for... At the peak of it, but if, if the birds go quiet, if you're in a place where there's normally lots of birds, and they go quiet around five or six minutes past eleven, I'd love to know uh, about that. But much more to come between now and midday, including it's about time, isn't it, that we had a proper conversation, a proper adult conversation about antigen tests? Came up yesterday at the Eroctus Committee on Health, and the. the rather the Transport and Communication Committee, I beg your pardon, where now the politicians are asking Dr. Tony Holohan, you've been hearing about it in the news, they want the Chief Medical Officer to come before 
the Oireachtas Committee to explain why he is so dead set against antigen testing. That in order to travel in and out of the country, you're going to need PCR. And the idea that we would have antigen testing for matches or antigen testing for things like travel, events, concerts, it's something that the chief medical officer seems to have set his face dead against. For, for reasons best known to himself, and I'm sure it comes from his public health knowledge and his public health understanding, because that's what his job is, to advise the government on public health. But the rest of Europe seems to be moving down the road of accepting antigen testing. And only last week, the week before, we spoke with Trish, a regular listener to the show in London, who told us about how they have antigen tests at home and they keep them in the fridge or on the kitchen table and... They test themselves before they go to work. They test themselves for, before their daughter goes to school. They do it two or three times a week. It's free from the local medical centre. And it just works. And as of this week, you can buy them, I think, in Circle K. And you can buy them in Lidl already. So is that where we want to go? And why is the Chief Medical Officer so set against uh, letting us use antigen testing to the level in which the rest of Europe appears to be using it? One of the people who appeared before that Rochester Committee meeting is Dr. Neve Power, who's both a medical doctor and a pilot, and established a company last November to provide antigen testing at both Dublin and Cork airports, and she joins me on the opinion line. Good morning, Neve. Hi, good morning, Peter. How are you? Good. And good Thanks to for having me on. And delighted to have you on, delighted to speak with you. The Chief Medical Officer and Philip Nolan as well, who who's spoken about about it. They both seem dead set against using antigen testing to the level other countries are now using it. Do you have any understanding as to why that might be? Uh, no, I, I really don't. I think that antigen testing is a great tool. It's a tool that we have very much um, underused. In fact, hardly used at all um, throughout this pandemic. I think we lost a lot of opportunities. Um, where antigen testing could have really helped us uh, a lot over the last uh, several months. They've been widely available since last summer. Um, I think it really could have um, made a huge difference uh, to healthcare settings, long-term residential care settings, and those kind of places. If they had been used for serial um, testing of um, healthcare staff, because if you remember, you know, back in uh, December and January, most of the, the hospitalised cases, the ICU cases, and unfortunately the deaths that we had came from um, uh, many came from healthcare settings, um, and I think that, that that is one area where we really we really missed out. And, and as I said yesterday at the uh, Transport and Communications Committee, another area that you know really we, we we totally missed the trick on was we should have been piloting antigen tests for uh, students, uh, the leaving cert students that started mm-hmm. their exams yesterday. Many of them will be told that they cannot sit their exam because they have been identified as a close contact. Uh, there's good studies out of the UK, um, and uh, Professor Mark Ferguson, his uh, the government scientific advisor, uh, laid out that antigen testing, daily serial antigen testing, can be uh, used in place of quarantine and is as good, if not better, than quarantine for for the likes of close contacts and and also if you want to, if you choose to use it uh, to quarantine people after mm. they uh, arrive in from another country. So I think that you know. Simple things like that could have really uh, reduced the stress levels that our students are already um, under. And uh, I, I, I have a, 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 
son who's, who's doing the leading search at the moment. So uh, that's, you know, very much on my mind for him and his friends um, and, and all the other leading search students who are sitting yeah. their exams this week. See, and I'm just bringing this as a, as a layman to the table, Neve. You've got the PCR test, which is the gold standard and goes to a lab and is handled by professionals in lab coats and, and takes time. And then you compare that against something you can buy in Lidl and, and use in the kitchen and stick this probe up your nose and watch the result come up on your own little testing kit. Are we really saying that one is as reliable as the other? No, no, that's not what we're saying at all. And I think that is that is a, a huge um, confusion out there, uh, both amongst lay people and uh, also, it seems, amongst the medical community. I think PCR has a definite place. It is, it is as you say, a lot more sensitive than um, antigen testing. But PCR and antigen tests are looking for two different things. So now, the there's a good point at which is, to pause you. There's a great point at which to pause you. You said to me they're looking for two different things. No. Let's break that down into what Johnny and Mary can understand over their morning toast and butter. What is the difference? Okay, so if I am a doctor and I have a patient in front of me who I think may have COVID or may have uh, atypical symptoms, PCR is most definitely the test that I want to use on that person to see do they or do, not, do they not have COVID? Because it is exquisitely sensitive. Um, it will pick up uh, tiny amounts of, uh, of viral RNA uh, in, in, in the nose or in the respiratory tract. On the other hand, if I want to find out if somebody is currently confe- infectious, currently at risk of infecting other people, in other words, do I want to take that person out of general circulation to stop the spread of COVID? Well, then antigen is a better test for that. It will only detect people who have a viable virus in their respiratory tract. It will only detect people who are at risk of passing on infection. PCR will uh, stay positive for an average of about uh, 30 days. Uh, people are infectious for about 10 days. The current HSE guidelines are that we shouldn't test asymptomatic people who have been positive for COVID in the past six months, precisely because it is so sensitive. Uh, so, you know, if we want to make the decision to, to quarantine people for the 30 days or more that they might be positive on PCR, you know, that, that isn't a good uh, approach to take. We're, mm. we're, we're disrupting people's lives, we're disrupting our economy, people's jobs, people's work. And um, if we want to remove people who are potentially infectious, well, then antigen testing is the way to do it. Um, we, can, we can remove them when they're at their most infectious, and then when they're no longer infectious, they will be negative on antigen and they can go back to their everyday life. So, again, bringing this down to the simple question for the ordinary layperson, Neve, does are you saying to me then, or am I picking up from you rather, that unless you're infectious, you will test negative on antigen? Yes. Now, no test is 100% positive or 100% reliable, and that follows for PCR as well as for um, antigen. Um, Professor Michael Mina, who um, very graciously gave us our time at the um, at the Joint Transport and Communications uh, Committee uh, yesterday, um, he has done a lot of work on antigen and PCR testing in, in COVID. Um, and he, he laid out, not yesterday, but previously, he laid out where in his lab in Harvard, um, they uh, do thousands and thousands and thousands of, of, of PCR and antigen tests. And the positive antigen test they sent for PCR, he found that those positive antigen tests that went for PCR 
and were negative on PCR, they still sent the antigen test for sequencing, for genomic sequencing, and 50% of those which had been negative on PCR came back as positive for SARS-CoV-2. So no test, including PCR, is is 100%, and and that that includes antigen as well. So it will will certainly not pick up everybody, but we're looking at high 90s, 95, 98% of people who are currently infectious with high viral loads, and the most at risk of passing on this disease to the population will be identified by antigen testing. Now, you, your company, um, v, V1 Medical, you are doing testing at Dublin and Cork airports, which effectively, I guess it's a mini lab and you do it there and there and th- there and then and you have people who know what they're doing when they test me, antigen test me if I'm on my way to Lanzarote or wherever. They know what they're doing. And that sounds like it'll be very reliable, but is me sitting at the kitchen table with the one I've bought in Lidl I don't know what I'm doing. So is that result reliable? Yeah, so listen, definitely, you know, uh, testing, swabbing, whether it's for PCR or for antigen, because remember, you can also buy uh, PCR tests uh, online to be delivered. You swab yourself and send them back to the lab. So this, this issue isn't unique to antigen testing. It also, it also applies to PCR testing as well. So yes, there is a definite um decrease in sensitivity when people are self-swabbing. Uh, again, a lot of work has been done in the UK on antigen testing and it was found that, that, that people improve um, their ability to a- accurately swab themselves over time. Um, and in the UK, in the schools, for instance, um, they, uh, the students test about twice a week. At the beginning, each student would come in and do the test, monitored and supervised test in school. And after a couple of two or three times when uh, they were seeing that they were doing it properly and they knew what to do, then they can do it at home before they leave for school in the morning. So there is definitely a learning curve there. Um, it is not rocket science, though. Uh, you know, uh, more and more um, tests are becoming available that don't require the deep nasopharyngeal swab. And yeah. that, that was required in the beginning and sort of anterior nerve swab and even saliva tests. Yeah. In fact, uh, with children, it's been shown that uh, the saliva tests are often more accurate, mainly because it is very difficult to get a good swab yeah. from a from a wriggling child. Um, so, you know, absolutely, um, there is a learning curve there. I do think that, you know, there is a place for self-testing, um, not necessarily for travel at the moment in any case. Um, I, I, I do think that... that uh, Testing for travel should be should be monitored and, and, and obviously certified that it was done on the person that says they're the person. Um, but I do think there is um, there is definitely space for for self testing at home. Okay. Lastly, it seems from an interview he gave this morning on News Talk, the Taoiseach is is moving towards the idea at least that antigen tests should be used more widely. I'm sure you'd be very interested in knowing from Dr. Houlihan what his particular issues with it. Are. So would you would you echo the call for him to, to speak up clearly about it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so far he has um, told us that um, they're worried about people's behaviour, that it would change um, because of a negative antigen test. And, and once again, the, the, the evidence doesn't support that. Like I said, it's back to the, the argument about seatbelts and condoms. You know, every public health tool should be should be used and, and, and you know, used properly and the other the other um argument he has about the sensitivity and i think i've addressed that already you know pcr will be sensitive to people who are no longer infectious we are not interested in stopping those people from traveling or from working or for doing their exams at least we shouldn't be interested in stopping those people we are only interested in people um for for a public health and infection spread point of view we are only interested in people 
who are currently contagious. Um, and, and, you know, just to point out as well, you know, right now, uh, many countries across Europe, uh, France joined the list today, are accepting travel with antigen testing. And uh, so, you know, Irish citizens, uh, obviously, for essential travel at the moment until July 19th, but we can go to all those countries with an antigen test certificate. It's just coming back in that people will be forced to, to get the much more inconvenient and expensive PCR test. And the other point as well, which is an issue for travel, many of these countries now have uh, set 48 hours as their limit for their, their, their test. That really is very difficult to achieve with a PCR test. Most labs are, are, are turning around sort of, you know, 36, 48, 72 hours. So it's going to be very difficult for people to get their PCR test right. and have the result in hand by the time they go to get on the airplane. So, you know, from a from a logistical point of view, from a practicality point of view, uh, action testing really is the only way to go when it comes to, to travel okay. and aviation. All right. Okay, leave it there. Thank you very much. That's Dr. Neve Power, who's both a medical doctor and a pilot, so understands the effect of this on, on travel and all that, and was giving evidence yesterday to the Transport and Communications Commission. Dr. Tony Houlihan has been asked to come before that committee and explain why he is so dead set against the use of antigen testing, or at least why he gives that impression. Why he gives that impression. Let's not put words in the man's mouth that he hasn't spoken yet, but he certainly gives the impression that he's dead set against the use of antigen testing. But as Dr. Power was saying there, if you travel, say, to France or Spain now for essential travel before the 19th, you can... You, you can get into Spain or get into France with, I assume, a professionally conducted antigen test. But you can't get back in here without a professionally conducted PCR test. So therein lies the present difference. 1850-715-996. The Taoiseach, as I said in that interview this morning on News Talk Radio, has said that antigen tests should be used more widely in society. He, he referenced Professor Mark Ferguson, who is the Chief Scientific Advisor to the government, and he did recently recommend it as an additional measure to complement PCR testing. It's another tool in the toolbox, as it were. 1857-15996 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With Dairy Made Premium Spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream Cork's 96FM's Be Kind to Your Mind with GP, author and wellness expert Dr. Mark Rowe I would encourage just those small little things that make you feel good. Getting some exercise and movement. Exercise, I call it the greatest pill of all because what it does is when you choose to get up and move, you dampen down stress hormones in your brain. You bring on what I call the biochemical cocktail of brilliance. Serotonin, oxytocin, noradrenaline, all those positivity chemicals all moving around in your brain, enabling you to feel more positive, feel more creative and simply to enable you to feel more energized and I believe exercise and movement is for everyone not just when you're 14 but when you're 94 years of age as well Helping you through COVID. Helping you through COVID Cork's 96FM I have a feeling, I was just chatting here with Terry in the break I think what will happen here is we'll eventually get a, a compromise look this isn't a prediction it's just my thoughts on the table for what they're worth. We will get a compromise eventually here and what will happen is you'll be allowed to do certain things that now need a PCR, 
you'll need just an antigen test. But it'll need to be a professionally conducted antigen test. Like you actually have to go into a pharmacy to have it done or into a doctor's surgery or a medical centre to have it done. You won't be able to buy it in little. They won't accept those ones. But they'll accept a professionally conducted antigen test. It's coming. I can, I can sense it coming. But things move slowly in this country. The other thing about it too is on the, any occasion that they have said to Dr. Tony Houlihan, uh, no, we're not doing that. They've discovered to their cost a few weeks later that they were right, that, that he was right. And there's more than one incidence of that happening. So all that's got to be taken into consideration. Let's talk about vaccines, though. We've had one or two emails and a lot of contact about people being left out, as in they got their first jab, no sign of the second one, and their friends around them are now double vaccinated. And also people who haven't even been called yet, even though their age group uh, has been vaccinated and younger than vaccinated all around it. I'll get to that in just a sec. But the next stage, too, is that the pharmacists will be rolling out the vaccines. So you'll go to the local chemist shop to get your, your jab rather than having to go to, say, the City Hall or your doctor's surgery or wherever you choose to go. Pat Dalton is in the North Main Street Pharmacy and you'll be, you'll be part of this programme. Pat, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Uh, we, we certainly will be part of this programme. Um, we're looking forward to starting our vaccination service on Monday the 21st of June. Um, so we will be offering the Janssen single-dose vaccine. Mm. Um, so it'll be a one-shot dose. Now, we will be offering this vaccine to people age 50 or over. Right. Um, that'll be the sole focus initially, um, as per the NIAC guidelines, the National Immunisation Advisory Committee guidelines, that this vaccine is most safest for people age 50 or over. Hmm. Um, so, as you probably are aware, people age 50 or, or over have already been called to register for the vaccine and I would hope and expect the vast majority of people age 50 or over have already actually gotten their vaccine. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're calling out for people in that age bracket, 50 or over, who have not got any vaccine. They're more than welcome to walk into us, to call us, or to register on our website, daltonspharmacy.ie, okay. to get their vaccine. So, so you don't need to book, you can just well, literally walk in, or can well, you well, obviously book well, a I slot? Well, I would say, I, I would prefer everybody to book. Um, it, we will judge everything on uh, at the time, uh, based, based on, you know, demand. Um, if it's a case that these people, I would guess, may be hesitant about getting it, because they've had an opportunity to get it already, and they have chosen not to do so or maybe some of them are just busy people who haven't got round to it. So we, we urge people, I suppose we would prefer people to make contact with us, to register with us on the website or to phone us or to walk in. But we will certainly look at all options um, when we get the vaccines, whether we can offer a walk-in service. We would like to be able to offer a walk-in service where possible, but we have to be cognizant of demand and obviously of numbers. Um, you know, we've have, we obviously have to follow strict guidelines um, about offering the vaccine service in regard to social distancing, etc. Of course. And it's just the over 50s at the moment. Do, do you envisage that down the line it'll go below 50? Well, I, I would hope it will in community pharmacies. I would hope so. Uh, I really hope that community pharmacies going forward will be able to offer the vaccine to all age cohorts. Um, at the moment, we're just getting supplies of the Janssen vaccine, and NIAC have made 
uh, a ruling on that that it can only be offered to people yes. aged 50 or over. So we we completely have to follow um, that, those guidelines. Now, is it a re- is there a, a reason why it's only the Anson or, or J and J that you're get, that you're getting to to disperse or to dispense? Because we now know that the refrigeration issues with Pfizer and Moderna aren't as stringent as they used to be, as in we know now it'll, it'll last longer out of the big freezer. So so could you not get those delivered as we well? Could, absolutely, PJ. Absolutely. We're well, ab- well able to cater for all the vaccines on the market at present. And I would be hopeful that pharmacies will get supplies of the other brands of vaccines. Uh, specifically, I suppose, I mean, the vaccination centres, I would imagine, will not be open forever um, in Parky Cueve and City Hall, and I would hope that that um, common sense will dictate that pharmacies will get supplies of both the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines going forward, and especially in remote areas yes. where there is no vaccination centres, where people, you know, have a, most people have a community pharmacy within a short distance from their home, yeah. and these people would, would like to be able to attend the community pharmacy to get the vaccine. Yeah, I'll be speaking shortly to someone one of the people who's been contacting us about being missed out in the system, as in, I registered but have heard nothing, and yet all my friends have been vaccinated. Yes. The, people, the, the, the system is failing people that way. So, if, are you saying to me, for example, if, Pat, that if, if someone is, say, 51, 52, and all of their friends around them have had, have had their call, and, and they haven't, that from the 21st, you'll be able to fit them in? I'm getting uh, I'm 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 getting a supply of vaccines on the 21st. Um, it's a small enough supply, to be honest with you, but it's there. So I'm I'm telling those people they're more than welcome to phone us, to call into us, okay. or to register online. And we and they, it's very simple. We once they have a PPS number, we can do them. Okay. Once, well, we, once we establish they have not got a vaccine elsewhere, which is very easily done, we can give them the vaccine without any okay. very little bureaucracy. And do they have to deregister from the other? I don't system? believe they do. No, no. My understanding is they do not. Right. They, they do not. Once, once they come to me, I register their vaccine, and the HSE uh, receive that information from me. So then the HSE don't pursue their their other appointment. And do you need one of those cards? Do, 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 what card? Or do you get one of the cards when when you know I got a card when I was vaccinated? Oh, yeah. Did you do? You, will you giving be out, giving out the cards as well? You will. Yes, we'll be supplying the cards. Yes, okay. absolutely. Yeah. Okay, that shows. Now we're supposed to keep that apparently I, um, for for a passport or whatever. So that's an important little piece of. Absolutely. Piece I of had a lady phone me up yesterday ask, asking me, "Will I have a laminator so I can laminate them for people?" So it's a, yeah. uh, maybe maybe something we could consider. Okay. All right, Pat. Thank you very much for that. Twenty first of of June, and your website again, if people want to inquire more, is what. It's www.daltonspharmacy.ie All right, good to speak with you. Pat Dalton from Dalton's Pharmacy on the North Main Street, starting on the 21st of June, which is only uh, a week and a bit away. Monday week, I think, isn't it Monday? Yeah, Monday week is the 21st of June. They will be giving out Johnson & Johnson vaccine to those over 50 who haven't had a vaccine yet, and they're hoping that it'll expand to other vaccines, and they're hoping that they'll expand to younger age groups as well, and particularly for community pharmacies where there isn't anybody else or any other centres. All right. 1850-715-996. So that is a, a very, very good idea. Though, actually, those cards, I 
I had lost mine for a couple of days and I found it and I've stuck it up. You know the way you stick things up in the mirror in the bedroom so you won't miss, you won't forget your dental appointment, you won't forget your doctor's appointment. Yeah, I've it stuck up there. But do you need, I wonder, to keep the actual card? Because I presume, I presume that under your name and your PPS that the HSE will have a record anyway of your vaccination. So if you have to get a, a thing for your passport or a digital thing for booking a flight eventually that you, you won't have to keep the card in your wallet and show it to the nice lady when you're boarding the plane. I hope, imagine it'll be more sophisticated for that. It says keep it safe. It's been, yeah. All right. 1850-715-996. To other more pressing issues with the vaccines, as in, he got his, where's mine? I'm older than him, where's mine? And this is getting worrying. Next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairymaid Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Summer. Cork's 96FM presents Cork Midsummer Festival 2021. Get ready for a host of exciting and unmissable digital events and in-person experiences. This special festival edition can be enjoyed online or on your doorstep with something for everyone. Good times, good times. Experience CMF online, bringing theatre, music and dance to the comfort of your home. The City Stage presents From the Port to the Fort. Fantastic outdoor events at the Port of Cork and Elizabeth Fort. For more, see Cork Midsummer. Summer.com. Good times, good times. Enjoy the Cork Midsummer Festival, June 14th to 27th. With Cork's 96 FM. Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, Pat says the digital passport goes live on July 19th or so. You will be able to log in, apparently, via your PPS and date of birth. And then you'll have it on your app on your phone. If you don't have a smartphone, keep your card. It'll be easier to track it and to give you your vaccine passport. Thanks for that, Paul. I'm sure as we get closer to July 19th, then we will know an awful lot more about how the passport will work. 1850 We've been getting lots and lots of different communications, texts and uh, WhatsApps, emails, like Patsy's. And uh, Patsy got her first jab on the 4th of May and still hasn't had her second because you got AstraZeneca. Isn't that right, Patsy? Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak on your show. Yes, I got my first AstraZeneca jab on the 4th of May and I would be due to have the second jab the very end of July or the beginning of August, as the current guidelines indicate. Now, your age group is the 60s? Yes, I'm 67. Okay. And how do you feel about having to wait until the end of July, the start of August? I feel very upset about it, really, PJ. I mean, whereas I'm extremely happy that the rollout is going so well, and it is going well, um, and my 45-year-old son was vaccinated with Pfizer, uh, earlier this week um, and will be fully vaccinated well before me. So um, that's all very positive news, but I am concerned and I know several of my friends are concerned that with travel opening up, the restaurants opening, people mixing more naturally as as is right and proper and of course the Indian variant looming 
mm. that my my age group won't have the same protection as younger groups yeah. who are Could generally less vulnerable. Yeah, you mentioned your son was in his 40s. He'll have his second dose in a few weeks' time. And we hear that, is it in the next week or so, they're going to open registration for the over 30s. So there's a possibility that even people in their mid-30s will have their two doses of Pfizer or Moderna before you get your second dose of AstraZeneca. Yes, absolutely. I think that's the point. I mean, we're all we're all delighted that the more people get vaccinated, the better and the safer we are. But my age group is a vulnerable age group, and we just want the same freedom as other people. Really, just to be yeah. able to move about. It's been a tough time for everyone, as you well know. Yeah. But now, I think it's, the latest decision of the HSE and the Immunisation Advisory Committee, NIAC are saying that, right, we can close 12 weeks now to eight weeks. Hopefully you benefit from that. Absolutely, but um, Minister Donnelly actually said that they would hope to implement gradual reduction from 11 to 10 to 9 to 8 weeks, depending on the AstraZeneca supplies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That really, I, I don't think that's good enough um, to say that um, the scientists do, do speak yeah. about the mix and mac- matching of yes. vaccines. Dr. Professor um, McConkie was on the show with me on Monday and he was explaining, and there's a lot of good articles out there now if you go looking, that people who got the first AstraZeneca, there's a very strong immune response if you get a second one from Pfizer or Moderna. So would you like to be able to do that, Patsy? I would absolutely love that, PJ, for for not just for me because this is not just about me, but it's about my age group really, yeah. and trying to get us protected before the country does open up. And I think we're all looking forward to that, aren't we? Mm, because you have some underlying conditions, don't you? Yes, I. Um, whereas I'm reasonably healthy now, I had a really bad dose of flu and pneumonia Christmas of. 2019 and I was hospitalised all over Christmas so I would be concerned you know I'm I'm not one of the most vulnerable but definitely that scared me and I don't want I don't want to go back there or anybody else to have to go through that unnecessarily Yeah, as I said Professor McConkie had great time for this idea of the mix and match, uh, forgive me I never wrote down, he used a big word for it and I forgot to write it down so I don't know what it is but there is a technical name for it Uh, NIAC have to advise whether that can be done though Mm -hmm. and they haven't as of yet, I wish you luck you're saying end of July, possibly start of August as we stand today Yes 12 weeks, it was 12 to 16 weeks initially and they brought it to 12 weeks, so mm-hmm. that is um, by my calculation um, yeah. 27th of July at the earliest yeah. or early August well, I, 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 I really empathise with you because I've, I'm, I'm a lot younger than you and, and I've, I'm double vaccinated and past the safe time so I'm, I'm bulletproof and, and, and effectively and, and you're not and that, that's, that's hardly fair you're a lot older than me yeah, unfortunately I am. <laughs> and yeah. that's my point, really. I, I, I just feel that my age group really are vulnerable. They're more vulnerable than yeah. uh, people that. younger. Yeah. We don't want anything more than anyone else, but just to be acknowledged and to feel as safe as other people. 
and to be able to mix um, okay. as as the guidelines. That's just the point I wanted to make. People. Patsy, you've made it extremely well and thank you very much. And there's a bigger conversation to be had because there's people out there like Patsy all over the place. Really appreciate the email and the call, uh, Patsy Harrington. 1850 It's a good piece in the independent. I'll go through it later about why they've moved to the young people and a lot of people getting left behind in the process. Can you ever imagine being so desperate for a place to lay your head that you'd actually commit a crime and actually get sent to prison just to have a place to lay your head. That is happening right here, right now in our city. Katrina Toomey is on the front page of The Echo today. Katrina, of course, from Cork Penny Dinners. And Katrina, you say that you actually know people who will commit a crime just to get themselves put into prison to get a roof over their heads for a while. That's tragic. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. It is tragic, and we've known this for quite a while, and people, you know, when they can't access a bed and when they're out there and when things are very, very rough and they know they're on, um, you know, their own path of destruction as well and maybe they don't want it to go any further. Maybe they're just totally, you know, disheartened, disillusioned that they can't, to get a step up, get a second chance and they're weary and then they're afraid as well, especially with the wave of homeless that we've had on the streets. Mm. So they're really, yeah, there's a lot of things going on. It's not just one reason and for each person it could be one reason, it could be a couple of reasons, but they do want to go back to um, to prison because they feel it's a safer option and that maybe they can get more grounded when they're inside in the prison, access the rehabilitation services in the prison mm. and try and work with the prison service, which is very good on that front, mm. to get them, you know, back into society. Medical attention if they need it, yeah. Medical attention, yeah, because no, when they leave, there's a medical card there for them because a lot of them may have different medications, you know, for illnesses that they have as well. Because we have to bear in mind, you know, everybody has something at some time, in their life, I suppose, and for people that have been in prison, it might be a once-off. It could be a couple of times, and there are all different types of offences and stuff. So, but for some of them, they may have just made a mistake, and they end up homeless, and then it spirals, it goes downwards for them, and they can't get back in. So they do talk to us, and they said, "I'd be better off locked up." Yeah. At least I wouldn't be out wandering the streets or walking the streets. Because, you know, you know, for us, I suppose, if we look at it this way, when nighttime comes, we go to bed. Yeah. But for them, they may have to wander the streets because it could be too cold. Look, we have wet weather, we have freezing weather, we had everything. And then, can you imagine the heartbreak that fits, you know, that sits in their father? As so well, they get help with their addiction in jail as well. You know, they, do. they get help with everything, and there there are services. But again, and I keep on saying, the services that we have for practically everything in this country is brilliant, but there's not enough resources pumped into them. We yeah. need more because it, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And we certainly don't want. I mean, look at the weather now. Right now, yeah. this is our summer. Do you know? And could you imagine having to walk the streets? All day long. And, and that old grotty weather, that'll soak you to the bone. 
talk you to the bone and you'll be miserable and frozen and you come down with illnesses then and, and stuff like that. And bear in mind, we went through a long winter where people weren't able to go in and sit down in the shopping centres, in the libraries and in places like that where they, they went to, to seek a bit of sanctuary, a bit of, secu- you know, a bit of safety and a bit of heat and, and to be in out of the, the cold, cold elements because 24 hours to be exposed on the street is very, very difficult for anybody. I know people will say it and that that some people enjoy the street life and maybe they do, but that's another illness in itself as the well. Only, it's so the only life they, know, they what? know what, for some of them, what choice do they have? I, I said when I was introducing you, Katrina, I, I asked the question, like, how desperate would you have to be to deliberately commit a criminal offence to get yourself back into prison just for a place to lay your head. You said to me before, and you said it with all due, due respect to me, I've no idea of the desperation that's out there, but you see it every day. I do, and we can see that despair in them, and we can see them, and they don't know where to turn to anymore. They're just lost, and they're Roman lost. So then that desperation creeps over them, and then they know that the only place for them is prison. Because at least they're in and they can, you know, they'll have a bed, they'll have a roof, they'll have some food and they can access the services then and they can let their mind stop racing. And they, you see, when you're on the street, you're surviving and it's a game of survival the whole time and you have to watch out for everything that can happen it, on the streets as it, well. It might be the first actual moment of relaxation strange yeah. that they might seem that they'd had for, yeah. for months. Katrina, thanks as always for joining us on the Opinion Line and continue the wonderful work that you do. Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners, 1857 Said it before, say it again, and I challenge anybody to tell me why she shouldn't at this stage. Why should that woman not be a freeman of her own city? Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The Back Garden Festival is back. Cork's 96FM's exclusive online station brings you all the biggest hits from your favourite festival stars. Listen now on our app or go to 96FM.ie. The Back Garden Festival with Harvey Norman and JBL. Your specialist in sound this summer. Cork's 96FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Oh, we've had a can of worms opened by Patsy's email and phone call. There's a lot of you out there are waiting and waiting. Jim and Cove got my first AstraZeneca jab, 4th of May. I was told August for the second one. I'll wait, though. It doesn't really bother me. I PJ, I had my first AstraZeneca jab on the 11th of May. Like the lady you're speaking to, I'm worried about not being fully vaccinated. I'm 60. I have a fair few underlying conditions. I have friends younger than me and family that have been double vaccinated and I'm genuinely concerned about the weight. I think it should have been the same as the Pfizer jab, four weeks between them. And I'm seriously hoping the HSE will either allow another vaccine for the second one as I hate all this waiting. That's from Jackie. Evelyn got my first one, 2nd of April. Still haven't heard a peep. 10 weeks tomorrow. 
Ava, yeah, I'm like that lady. I've had my first Astra in March. I'm due the second, the end of this month. I've MS. Got mine early as I'm medically vulnerable. Yet so many people fully vaccinated since it makes no sense. I'm a cancer patient. Got AstraZeneca in mid-March. Was due my vaccine on the 2nd of June. Still haven't received the second one. I've contacted the HSE, but have been given no answer. On the phone, I'm the same way as Patsy. Thank you so much, PJ, for having Patsy on to put that opinion across to your listeners. She made the point so well. She did. She made it brilliantly. Carla says, my husband's very vulnerable. Was put on a list by his doctor for short notice immunization. April 2nd. That should mean a second vaccine on the 25th of June. I've heard nothing yet. Uh, Should I? My GP doesn't know, but presumes I will get a text a few days before. Does anybody know how this situation works? I have COPD, says another call. I got a vaccine date, a vaccine April 24th. Still no word. I nearly lost my brother from COVID-19. He was in the ICU. I'm very keen to get my second shot. Seamus, I really don't understand why people who are fully vaccinated anyway can't fly abroad without the PCR test. I mean, several countries, including the US, seem to be able to do this. That will come, Seamus, with the, the vaccine passport. It will indeed. John says, has this, this is the one I was reading out before the news briefly, has the sovereign Irish passport now been made redundant because you're not allowed back into the country? You are a citizen of, without mandatory hotel quarantine. The bearer of a passport has a right of unimpeded access to the country under international law. Well, they kind of don't, John because you're missing a bit of that little quote, they need to be prepared to conform with the law of the land. And if the public health law of the land in which you're coming into says you need to go into quarantine, then you need to go into quarantine. And if the public health law of the land says you need to have a PCR certificate, then you need to have a PCR certificate. It's just the way it is. Your passport doesn't guarantee you access Anywhere, you have to give a commitment. It, it actually, your passport assumes your commitment to the law of the land. So, unfortunately, when you quote something, you're better off quoting the whole lot of it. But I do take your point if you're worried about that. 185715, a lot of people. I am a little bit blown away by that, by the response to Patsy. I knew there was a few, but a lot of people. And they're still coming in. Still coming in. Got their first AstraZeneca, no sign of the second one. That's worrying. That's worrying. Look, uh, Mary Sinkove, frontline worker, uh, got her first AstraZeneca, frontline worker now, got her first AstraZeneca on March 25th. Still no sign of the second dose. There's lots and lots and lots of them out there. 185715996. We'll come back to that and, and plenty more. I was reading a very interesting article in the Financial Times. There's Posh. No, I just happened to find one. I just happened to be browsing around for something something to read. And I, I stumbled across an interesting article about a woman called Asako Hoshino. Who, Pete? Asak, Asako Hoshino. Now, she is one of the top dogs uh, globally. In Nissan, she is head of their global marketing and sales. And she's having huge influence in the design of Nissan cars. And and she's been talking up the importance of taking in the woman's point of view in the design of a car. And I guess if you think about it, right, we have a family car. Uh, at the moment, I've just changed my car, actually. I've driven a lovely new Dacia Duster. It's a nice little job. But 
when we were getting used to it, and they're just thinking about this, reflecting on the article about um, Asako Hoshino. When I sit into that car, it's set up in a particular way. And I was happy out. I was driving it around. And lovely new car. Lovely car. Then the Queen Bee says, come here to me. I don't feel comfortable in that seat. And we looked into the manual and we looked and said, there's a few things I had to adjust for. So that's just one thing. Women and men, they, they sit differently. Have you noticed like how some women like to sit very close to the front? I'm one of these people that likes to sit back. That's just one element of it. Cars are designed historically with men in mind because historically men did most of the driving. But Asako Hoshino has been pushing the female agenda as in designing cars for females with Nissan for years, for nearly 20 years. And now, as head of their global marketing and sales, she's in a very, very influential position. Um, and then I saw Geraldine Herbert from WhizWomen.ie, who's been a regular on the opinion line, would be tweeting about the same thing. And in fact, you retweeted that article, Geraldine. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. In fact, her, her story is fascinating. It is, and it's quite rare as well because women, particularly in the Japanese car market, or car industry, are pretty rare. And the fact that she's been in it for two decades—I mean, she's—you know—it's it, a fairly, fairly unique story. But I mean, women like that are having an impact. There's no doubt about that. There's more and more being involved in the design stage. But the fact of the matter is, PJ, you know, cars are still and have been built around the typical kind of average male and it's still happening and the reason why a lot of women end up sitting too close to the steering wheel is the positioning of the the pedals they're designed again for the height of an average male the steering is positioned in that way even the actual firmness of the seat the the driver's seat is based around the weight of an average male Mm. so like it's almost impossible for women to get you know actually sitting comfortably unless they're quite tall because of all of these things Now, the problem with this, PJ, is it's not just trivial issues or it's not just an inconvenience for women to get comfortable. It's actually quite dangerous because, as it stands, women are 47% more likely to be seriously injured in a car accident and are 17% more likely to die because of these safety features are not geared around anybody else but the average male. So that's a fairly stark statistic. Yeah, yeah. And there are many things different between women and men Physically, I mentioned the fact that when we got our, our new car, it was set up for me from the minute that sat into it. Yeah, and other than, the other than maybe straighten the seat. That they design cars for. Because yeah. I particularly like a very straight seat behind me. Yeah. So I just had to adjust that, right? But other than that, I was happy out. Whereas herself, it took a couple of days to get the car just right for her. Now, I was happy out with her setting too. It didn't bother me. But we had to reset the car for her to sit into it. Yeah. And even when she did, when your wife did, as I said, it's not geared around her, though. And the safety features are actually there to protect a male better, which is, you know, which is the, the, really the key thing. So it's not just an inconvenience. It is the fact that all of these features work best for males. Yeah. I mean, it even extends that kind of male bias. And it, it's not a conspiracy. It's just the fact that for years it was men in these positions making decisions. And therefore they were deciding for, you know, the, the, the most common driver, which at the time was the typical male. But even in terms of buying a car and uh, assessing the crash uh, test ratings, you know, the Euro NCAP, they yeah, award yeah, yeah. Um, star ratings based on how the car protects the driver. The crash test dummies are male. They are. 
They are. Like, and none of them are pregnant. Have you noticed that? they introduced a female um, crash test dummy a couple of years ago, all it simply was was a scaled-down man. Man, now, women are obviously not scaled-down males, and it's still not used in the driver's seat. It's only used in the passenger seat for crash, mm-hmm. crash testing. So what I, I think people don't realise is when they're buying a car, the crash rating is actually a rating of how it protects the male driver. Mm. And if you think about it, PJ, it's not even just males and females. You know, drivers are a mixed bunch of older, younger, males, females, you know, small people, tall people. So cars should be designed properly and they should be designed in such a way that they, they, you know, they can protect all occupants. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, one thing that you never see tested, and I I obviously have never been pregnant, but it, it can't be comfortable to drive when you're pregnant. Yeah, again, the steering wheel because or the, the seat belt is not very comfortable for, for pregnant women. And again, it's not designed with pregnant women in mind. And even your average seat belt is not designed with women in, in, in mind because obviously women have a different, a different muscular density in their chest than men do. And again, it's to protect men. So there's all sorts of things. Now, Volvo have, have conducted a lot of research on this over the years and it's beginning to kind of, you know, peter down into, into car design, but it's still very much evident that you know, cars are designed still around men. Mm. There's other things too. I mean, and let's, you know, you can, you can argue about equality and, uh, until you drop dead, but there are different things. Women use cars in different ways. Yeah, but I mean, again, I always think a well-designed product works for everyone. Yeah. You know, it really does. I mean, you, you wouldn't go into an, apart- an apartment and ask for, you know, the, the apartment that was designed with men in mind or women in mind. You just look for a good design. And a good design should work for everyone. You know, and there's, there's basic requirements and criteria that all drivers want. And it's a matter of trying to, you know, accommodate those, really. And I just... And probably, the, you know, the issue is that there's so many male designers that it's their needs that come to the fore. Whereas, you know, if you, the more diversity you have, the more you recognise issues that need to be addressed. So mm. it really is an issue about getting more and more diverse voices in the, in the automotive industry. And as I said, it is getting better, PJ, there's no doubt about that. But it's still, you know, it, it's still slow. Mm. You know, no, another thing you notice too is that the car, male or female, the cars, most cars are designed for people of particular height. Mm. And particular builds, like if you're if you're taller, there are some cars that are easier to drive. If you're, but if you're if you're a very small person, your your choice of car is somewhat limited, isn't it? Yeah, I mean these are things that you know affect both males and females. Because as I said, if you're working off a playbook that is just your average male height and weight, you're going to you know knock out a lot of people and and you know discriminate against a lot of people who just don't conform to the average male. Mm. I remember something. Uh, years ago, I knew someone who drove a Ford car. And it's just a remark. I said I'd tell you when you were coming on. And I remember thinking to myself, that's such a tiny little car that there's no way a man could drive that comfortably. And I remember on one occasion trying one of them. And I thought, hang on, I can fit beautifully into this little thing. Like, that was a very diverse car to bring out onto the market. It shouldn't be that, it shouldn't be rocket science to do it with every kind of car. And that was a super little car as well, the Ford car. It really was. Mm, mm. You see, still see a few of them around. uh, Now, if you you happen to see someone that looks a bit like a Munster rugby player in the front seat, it looks a bit comical. But in actual fact, it was remarkably comfortable when you sat into it. And you could do that with every car. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it just takes, as I said, it just takes more diverse opinions at the drawing board stage. So they can, you know, that, that you see the buyers as a totally different, diverse group of yeah. people, rather than, as I said, this, this very simple, you know, we're designing for the average, um, for the average male. And that, but I mean, it, as I said, that male bias, I don't even think at, at times the automotive industry are aware of it. It's so ingrained at this stage. I mean, the fact that the Euro NCAP don't even test for female drivers, it's just, in this day and age, it's extraordinary. I just think it's across the board and it just at times it has just become so ingrained that people don't see that it's an issue Okay, all right, leave it there, Jarney, and thank you very much, Jarney. Herbert, wheelsforwomen.ie Just intrigued by that story of that woman, Asako Hoshino This is just an aside and maybe it's just me but the Nissan Duke is a very popular little car uh, and the Nissan Micra, a very popular little car You see a lot of women in, this is just my own obser- observation around town. You see a lot of women driving Dukes. It's a grand little car, but you see, uh, it must be very. If you see a lot of women driving Dukes, that assumes that they're very comfortable little cars, and maybe that's down to the work of Sacco Hoshino. Interesting. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Still coming in. Whatever happened to the vaccine bonus? I think you can meet some people in your house if you're both vaccinated or something like that, but nothing else. It's complex at this stage. We can find out. It's getting increasingly more complicated. But yeah, I got my first, this is Dennis, I got my first AstraZeneca on the 28th of March. Notice of my second for the 1st of July. Uh, Got my first AstraZeneca the 1st of May from Mary. I'm asthmatic. I'm 66. People cannot believe I'm not yet fully vaccinated. The 60-year-olds who have a lot of underlying issues are the cohort who really seem to have been overlooked here. Yeah. Okay, we got this question. Can a fully vaccinated person visit their adult children in the UK without quarantine? You don't have to quarantine if you go from here to there. But when you return, you have to self-isolate. And that's even with double vaccination. It's, it's daft. That seems daft if you're doubly vaccinated. But I, I assume that'll all change after the 19th of July. But if you go to England, if you go to, like if I was to go to, to London today on essential business, I'm fully vaccinated. So I don't have to isolate or nothing when I go over. But still, when I come back, I'm required to self-isolate, even though I'm fully vaccinated. Now, I'm assuming that'll all change in the next few weeks, but it, it is still a little bit daft. 1850-715-996. Dennis, on the cars. Dennis, I've driven vans since I was about 18. Whoever designs the seats for vans has never delivered for a living. They're difficult to get in and out of. The support of the squab is very poor. Checking the cargo is difficult from the seat of your van, says Dennis. And the caller says, I believe it was from General Motors, who I think are Vauxhall people and um, Opals, took on more black designers that they moved away from prestige pickups to prestige SVUs, or SUVs rather, and people prefer them now. You wouldn't see as many pickups. Okay, General Motors, Vauxhall and Opal, they are... They're now owned by Peugeot. Okay, thanks. <laughs> They're all actually all like Nissan and Dacia and Renault are all under the one in Berlin now, and I think Hyundai are as well. And and then you have you don't know who owns what car brand these days. You really don't. 
um, like like um, Skodas are BMWs now. So are Minis. You really would want to get up early to know. 1850715996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Corks 96 FM. We've got an unusual swimming marathon right on our doorsteps here, and no one, well, only one or two people have ever done it, and that is the swim around the central island. So you start out by the Lee Fields and you come down one channel of the river and you come back around by the Port of Cork, back up the other side to where you already started. You would think that loads of people would do that. Wouldn't you? Well, up until recently, only one man had ever done it and that was Ned Dennison. And I had spoken to Ned about doing it and I was amazed at the time that he was the only man who ever had. Um, Some others have done it. Uh, just last evening, Liam Maher did it. Liam, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good, and congratulations. How long of a swim is it in the first place? I suppose distance, PJ, it's a seven-kilometre swim. Right. Uh, three and a half roughly down the south channel and about the same up the north channel. Okay. And but it's rare that people do things. it. Yes, PJ, we're... Um, it's only the second time you, you uh, as you mentioned, uh, Ned Dennison was the first to do it, and uh, he he, sh- he led by example and showed us how to do it uh, again yesterday. Um, there was five of us: uh, um, Jim Shalou and uh, Bernard uh, Lynch f- uh, from Myrtleville and Crosshaven direction, and Rosie Foley uh, from Killaloo, and myself. Um, well, congratulations for a start. Yes, thank you. It was, it was uh, like being being from the city and, and looking at the river every day. Um, it was just amazing to think that we could uh, swim uh, the seven k loop around the city safely mm. uh, in 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 cleanish water. Yeah. And um, you know, thirty years ago, you wouldn't have have, have ventured your toe into the water. Yeah. Whereas now, uh, it's it, it's very possible. So, where did you start and finish? So we started just uh, on the tip of the island, just opposite the Kingsley Hotel there, just on the island there across, you know, the, 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 where the park is. Yeah. And um, we, we touched the weir, the wall there at the top, and we had the flow. So there was a lot of, it was a tricky swim because there's an awful lot of co- uh, uh, things to coordinate with the um, tide, uh, making sure that the tide is right to allow clearance uh, over the weirs and also enough clearance under the bridges. And then we also had to um, negotiate uh, um, or chat to the ESB uh, up in, uh, in Ascara to, to um, uh, adjust the flow of water that they were discharging from the dam. So it wasn't just an easy swim. Uh, there was yeah, an awful I, lot of preparation. I in was it. going to get to that. It is a surprisingly technical swim because of the number of different things you have to do. You don't just get in and start swimming. What kind of hurdles, as it were, are there to be overcome? So when we got in at the start, there was uh, it, it, it's quite weedy up there. Um, so there was a, there was a lot of, 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 of grasses and weeds in the water. And then we come down by UCC and you have the... Um, the water is very shallow. Uh, I, I, I know there was a few scrapes and bumps uh, 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 from different bodies uh, from yesterday's swim off the, the, the bottom of the riverbed. 
And then we came down past the River Lee Hotel and, and negotiated around uh, by Mehel Mara, um, which was great to see the, the girls in Mehel Mara out with their flags waving us. For the, uh, the swim was part of the Cork Harbour Festival, uh, PJ, so they, um, we, we, we were covered by insurance there as well. So that was very, uh, very good. And of course, um, there's, a, there's a weird there by, by that hotel. Correct. Correct, correct. There is, and and uh, there, there's there's um, there's a number of weirs on that uh, on that stretch of river, um, but with the uh, with the help of Jack O'Keefe and the Corkham Navigation kayakers, we had it timed so that we didn't really even notice that particular weir or any of them on the South Channel. To be honest, mm. um, the one down it, one down there by by the by the Flying Enterprise just there yes, at the bottom correct, of the Barrack Street. Correct, that, correct, that's a particularly correct. bumpy one, I'd say. Well, with the tide was in, PJ, so much that we didn't even notice we were going over it. Oh, I we see. Swam, swam, swam straight over it. Um, and, and, and then we come down by the uh, RTE and the, uh, the, the School of Commerce, School of Music, and we had the... Uh, um, the, the low bridges there, Trinity Bridge and 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 so you know where where we, there was very little clearance. We lost a couple of our kayakers at that point, where they had to uh, um, get out and and walk across the island to the other side of, of back back to the North Channel to get in and 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 escort us back up. So if anybody spotted kayakers uh, uh, walking through. Uh, uh, town yesterday. That's what they were doing. Because it does come uh, quite high up that bridge. So you'd like to get a good swing of the arm. Yeah, yeah. It was it was more of a bob, really. It was more of a kind of okay. Let's just make sure our head is down. Last uh, a couple of years ago, Ned had to dive under that particular bridge, but uh, we adjusted the time this year so that we didn't have to do that. But uh, yeah, right. he, the right. low arm low arm strokes is what was required. Wow, and then you continue down around, you turn, you turn at the Port of Cork there, isn't that right? That's correct, yeah, that's correct. And back up, uh, back and up. The Kennedy, Key, Kennedy Key and back up the other side. And we had a feed then, uh, we had a feeding station for ourselves there, just by the steps between. Uh, hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Clontarf Bridge and... and, uh and Mary Ellams, or, or Brian Baru and Mary Ellams, and um, by the bus station there, and um, we we uh, put the head down and kept swimming. Then it was a, it was a, like we we swam down the South Channel PJ in about thirty five thirty six minutes. Right, uh, and and it took us two hours plus uh, wow. um, to go up the other. Because you're going side. against the tide, aren't against, you? 
against the flow against of the, the river. Against the flow, rather, yeah, yeah. And and against the tide. So both, both, both. So it was um, tide was going out, flow was coming down, um, and and this was. Um, yeah, it, like it, it, it was funny. Uh, the, we were trying. I was trying to keep to the side, to the left-hand side, the bank uh, closest to the island, uh, all the way up uh, past the opera house and 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 Pope's Key and stuff like that. Trying to um, keep out of the main flow of the river, mm. um, turning around then by the Mercy um, and and uh, going going up there where it gets shallow uh, under the Mardike uh, Bridge and mm. then. Uh, then, then, then we hit the weir, PJ, and and uh, that 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 weir was was tough. Going. Which weir is this one now? This one now is just above the Mardike uh, Bridge, so just just maybe at the back of the cricket club. Oh yeah, that's yeah. a big one. <laughs> I was blown black three times, PJ, uh, um, off the weir. So I I get up to it, just about to cross it, and 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 the the, the between. Strength, losing the strength in my arms, and and just uh, the power of the water at that point was pushed back and had to start again. Um, but we had we had um, our kayakers. Uh, my kayaker ran over me there at one point as well. Just, just <laughs> <laughs> so in total, it took you what about two and a half? Was it two and a, two and a half? So Ned Ned did it in two ten. And, and and the rest of us were uh, uh, yeah. um, about two and a half. Ned's a bit. Ned's a bit of a machine, though. In fairness, <laughs> uh, I tell you, you, you said it. No, you said it. But but look, you often wonder. He should be checked at the end to see does he have an outboard motor hidden somewhere. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. There's 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 uh, there's a lot of people who think that because. Uh, he, he tickled my toes, PJ, as he swam by me. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, just, just, just to rub salt in the wound as he yeah. he, he swam swam down the South Channel. The, the, the man uh, from Atlantis or the man from Atlantic that, Pond. <laughs> that, that's it. So, like, it it just proves, PJ, that the water there is 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 good enough to swim in. Yeah. And and like, like you know, corks badly needs uh, you know more more facilities in the water and and you know a lido there. Uh, um, somewhere along the river uh, between between the Kingsley and 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 maybe Blackrock yeah. would 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 really. Um, it's it's a big campaign fantastic. at the moment, and we've had it, it on the show is. here, and and it we're is, great yeah. to see. I think brilliant, absolutely yes. brilliant. Listen, yes. two things: was yes. it cold? No. Well, uh, I mean, it wasn't because I suppose I've been training in in colder water, so um, right. it was about thirteen to fourteen degrees. So I'm used to it. Yeah. Okay. And and are you knackered today? I am. My shoulders are sore today. My shoulders. <laughs> my, sh- my shoulders feel as if I've done a twelve kilometre swim, not a seven kilometre swim. Okay. So, What's the longest you've ever done? Uh, so, well, I suppose all five of us that swam yesterday have swum the English Channel. Right. Um. So so it was about ten or ten or eleven years ago. Uh, from Catalina Island into Long Beach. So, fair few sins under the belt, all right. right. And how does the Cork Island swim compare in terms of difficulty and enjoyability? Well, look, it's very tough going up the North Channel. Uh, um, it, 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 you know, it, it is tough, but it's fantastic to be able to swim in your own city. And that's, that's one of the things, like, swimmers will, will, you know, will, will, will say, you know, if you go out across the English Channel... You know, there's nothing but sea around you. Whereas this this swim here is like swimming around Manhattan. Uh, uh, you know, where you have all the fabulous buildings and architecture. You have people on the bridges shouting you on. 
you know, it, it, it's something that I think we will try and, and, and promote and get more people doing. Because to be able to swim around your own city is just, it's, it's, it's okay. fabulous. All right. Congratulations on it, Liam, and to the rest of the crew from last evening. Uh, lots of big congratulations, Mr. Our own Anne-Marie. Big congratulations to Liam. What a feat. By rights, there should have been crowds on the keys to, keep, to cheer them on, only for COVID. I played in orchestras with Liam when we were younger. He's a huge supporter of the Cork Youth Orchestra. Delighted for him. And that's from Anne-Marie. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with Dairy Made Premium Spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Access all areas on Corks 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. The award winning, critically acclaimed show Mary and Me returns in a new version reimagined for digital presentation. Presented by The Everyman and written by Irene Kelleher, it runs on demand videos stream until Sunday, June 13th from everymancork.com. Access all areas. Pillow Queens make their return to Cork in support of their critically acclaimed debut album In Waiting. The show takes place on Wednesday, December 8th with tickets now on sale from cypressavenue.ie. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Literally floodgate opened up on vaccines and who's got one and who's got two and who's waiting and who hasn't even been approached yet. Uh, just getting a call from someone who's got a person in their 90s who hasn't yet had their vaccine. It's, there are holes in the system. Let's be, it's, we're, doing, we're going great guns, but there are holes in the system. I'll come back to it. I promise I'll come back to it. But now that we can go out and maybe go back to the pub again and hopefully next month be able to go into the actual pub or any other venue that you choose... Uh, like a few concerts starting up soon. Remind me to tell you about Christy Moore in the INEC and about Bruce Springsteen, by the way. You can't go to Bruce Springsteen's new concert unless you're fully vaccinated. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But we will, of course, want to go to the toilet. And those of us, us men folk, it's easier for us. It always has been much easier for us because we just toddle up to the urinal and we do what needs to happen naturally and we're done, we're finished. Yet there's a massive queue outside the ladies because they take a bit more time and they need a cubicle. Or do they? Amber Probin is the co-founder of Pequel. I love the name. Pequel. Urinals for women. Amber, good morning. Good morning. Hello. Nice to talk to you. How do these things work? I saw an article in Metro newspaper. It's a bit like I was, you know, the bits that, you know, the things that you have for trivial pursuit. Yeah. The circles with the little wedges in it. It looks a bit like one of those. Yeah, it does actually. That's a good, uh, good sort of depiction. Yeah, so it's a. Uh, it can exist in a circle, or it can exist in a, a line because it's actually very modular. So imagine Lego. You can set it up, set it down in different formations. But the images that are circulating are of the circular design at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's uh, something that you step up into to use. It's not like a handheld device. And you would semi-squat over what we call the pedestal, which is the part which you would wee into. Um, and you would squat to whatever height you feel comfortable at, whether that be a low squat, a high squat, or a wide squat. 
And um, yeah, we've just made it so it'd be super comfortable, private, and reduced splashback. Because mm, let's face it, women can't just stand at a wall like we do. Mm, yeah, I think well, there's Shiwi, which people may have heard of already, which is like a funnel or a handheld device that you can stand up and pee. But it's still quite um, difficult to use. You still have to like pull down your trousers, and it's a bit objectifying at times. But that was the feedback from some women we've had. Um, but yeah, it's, we're basically wanting to provide women with another option. Mm. We want um, the women who just need a quick pee to get in and out to the event. Um, men have it, so I think it's about time get women do as well. Yeah, yeah. The design, uh, is it like a standard toilet cubicle or how would I know the difference? No, it's very different. So it is um, open air, so there's no ceiling. Um and it is also semi-private. So when you step up into the design, um, it's on a raised platform. So when you squat, you'll be eye height or above somebody standing. So there won't be any kind of overlooking or vulnerability feeling there. Um, it's open air. So you will be seen from the sort of chest up um, when you're standing. So it's still private from the waist, from the chest down. Um, but that is basically to increase the efficiency um, and also get people give people a better awareness of who's in the cubicle yeah. who's not. Kate is a bit worried about about um, squatting. Uh, she's not too yeah. sure she'd trust her aim, particularly if she'd a pair yeah. of heels. Yes, yes. So that is something that we're working on at the moment. Um, the floor will be slightly angled, so when you go down into a squat, your heels sometimes come off, off the floor and make them more unstable. So that angle to the floor will help sort of passively help you be more balanced but we're also putting in sort of like railings we're trialing at the moment sort of rope either side or sort of elbow rests currently right so yeah because you kind of I, I imagine you kind of would want something to hold on to yes unless you're very used to doing squats in the gym you know <laughs> you really would want something to hold yeah. on to yeah we definitely want to provide the option of of that but also still do, make it in a way that it can be touch free because a lot of our feedback was that people don't want to touch anything yeah. no 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 side so we do want to sort of encompass both options basically yeah. um so yeah we're, we're evolving we're developing the design um and so hopefully you'll see a more updated version soon right and is it is it aimed at permanent toilet facilities in say hotels and pubs or is it aimed at the kind of thing you'd see at a festival or in a portaloo or whatever? Currently it's more temporary so we're starting it in events like festivals, sporting events um, and we're looking for customers at the moment to secure for next year mm. um, And but, but we do really want to sort of adapt the design to become more fixed so you know you can imagine in shopping centres or um, sports stadiums things like that um, we, we want to make it more quicker for women everywhere so women don't have to wait in the queue unnecessarily anymore. Yeah. Like, if you go to somewhere like, say, Glastonbury, the yeah. queues, yeah. the queue for the loo, like, they're massive, uh, yeah. They're huge. Yeah, the, lad, the lads can be in and out and maybe, may, yeah. maybe miss one song on the main stage. Some women yeah. will miss an act because, <laughs> because they're yeah. waiting so long and apart from that standing there can't be comfortable so this will no. hope this, this will hopefully sort all that out yeah I really hope so um, we can just give it a try right it's just gonna somebody we were like when we did our research we were like 
somebody must be trying to do this. And there was a real lack of any kind of evolution or innovation. So, yeah, me and Hazel, my co-founder, we're just, we're just giving it a whirl and seeing where it can go, really. So yeah. we've loved all the support that we're getting. And it's really obvious that it's a big problem and that women really want a solution. So yeah. I feel like we're very encouraged to keep going. Yeah. Well, I suppose, in a way, it's not the oldest technology ever because there was a time when we all just squatted and I've been in parts of the world in India where and I was in Greece at one stage where you actually still squat men and women still so you're kind of going back to basics here yeah yeah absolutely it is um sort of going back to what we used to be doing but um because of that societal change, it is going to be a shift of behaviour for a lot of women. You know, there's quite a lot of taboo surrounding this anyway. You know, it's a bit awkward subject to talk about. So we're definitely trying to communicate it in the best way to sort of help guide that behavioural change. Female caller, I'm worried about the privacy of these. Yeah, so some women um, don't really like the idea of semi-privacy, um, but that is just part of the design and we, we believe that that is a big reason why it will be so efficient. So you will be encapsulated in a, a female or woman-only space at an event. So you'll be sort of fenced off, kind of like a male urinal has a separate area. It will also be the same for these urinals as well. So it won't be like you're open to whoever walks past. It would be in its own contained area. So that would definitely make it much safer, much more acceptable, I guess, for women that may feel a little bit more uncomfortable with that. But there's something to stress around. We're not trying to replace the toilet cubicle. We, we acknowledge that that is necessary and that is needed at events. Right. And just, we just, some, just something additional. Any interest in them in Ireland? Pardon, sorry? Any interest in them in Ireland here? Any Irish customers, potentially? Um, I actually don't think we've had any Irish customers yet. So we would be very open to yeah getting any Irish customers. Okay. But we've had... We've been on one radio, one other Irish radio, and I think someone in Dublin's reached out to us. But, um, yeah, be very, very keen. Please reach out. Okay. All right, listen, good to talk to you. Amber Proben, co-founder of Pequel. I like the name. Women's Urinals. It's a thing. It's a thing. And why wouldn't it be? 1850 996. The queue at the Opera House, where you can go there next, might not be quite so long. I've often felt so sorry for women. Like, if I go to an event with the Queen Bee and there's an interval, we both need the loo. Yeah, I'm back at the bar with a pint in my hand before she's even in the door of the, uh, of the toilet. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> it's unfair. Just how it is. 1850-715-996. Here's one for you. There are men and I've met them, who insist on a cubicle. Even if it's not something you'd use a cubicle normally for. You know what I mean? Are they out there? Men who insist on a cubicle, who won't stand up against the wall. Apparently it's a growing trend. I don't know. I don't know. Ever since I took Patsy's call this morning, the lines have gone crazy with regard to vaccines and people being left out and people not getting their second one and whatever. And then we went down the road of going back and forward to the UK, whether you're vaccinated and if if you are vaccinated. We've had a call from John, who's in the UK. Hey, John. Morning, Vijay. What's on your mind, sir? Um, I couldn't see the logic in uh, people having to pay in the UK 140 for a PCR test 
to fly to Ireland for a holiday and a ticket for to fly would be only about eighty pounds or a hundred. Yeah. You know? And um basically I would think I was thinking to myself, if it was a family like a uh, husband and wife, few kids to be a lot of money like oh, and, the Irish go- and the Irish government are thinking are saying they want to open up the economy again. A lot of people can't afford, like, um, that kind of money to pay yeah. for PCR tests, you know what I mean? Yeah, and this is the discussion we started the programme with this morning as to whether we should do like other countries are doing now and accept uh, a properly conducted uh, um, antigen test, which is much, much cheaper and much faster. But you're talking also, John, I think, about vaccinated people. Like, are you vaccinated? Yeah, I've been vaccinated twice, and I couldn't understand why I have to pay 140 quid. And that's the cheapest one I could find for a PCR test to fly to Ireland, maybe for two weeks. And you're you know? double vaccinated, and have you passed the? You know the way you have to wait a week or two after your second dose. So you'd now no, be classed as fully vaccinated, done, right? It's all done. Yeah, so it's all done. if you if you yeah, wanted yeah. to if you wanted to come to Ireland now, you still have to have a PCR test. Yeah, I do. Yeah, according to the government, anyway. Crikey. Now, that, now, I think they'll sort all that out after the 19th of July, but it is a bit daft if, if you are double vaccinated and you can actually prove it, that you have to pay yeah, for a I PCR even, test. I even, I even went on the Aer Lingus website and it says on that as well. And, um, I mean, the 19th of July you're talking about there, PJ, and yeah. with this new Indian uh, variant, I mean, that might never happen, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know? Yeah, it does seem yeah, strange. So that's, we, we may put that question, I think, to to one of our experts soon, because it is a bit daft. Thank you, John, for the call, and thank you for listening to us in the UK. Uh, so he's double vaccinated, and obviously wants to visit Ireland, home, as it were. But even with his double vaccination, he still has to pay £140 sterling for a PCR test to show that he's clear of COVID. That's kind of one of those very Irish things that needs to be explained. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. If you jump onto YouTube right now and just YouTube Astronomy Ireland's Zoom meeting, they've got the eclipse up there. Now, the visibility is crap. That's the only word for it. It's absolute rubbish, the visibility. But because of this big telescope they've got set up and all the filters on it and all of the various magnifiers that they're using to safely watch it, you can see it. And I just kind of look there. The, the, the pictures are kind of coming and going, but you can see the the peak of the solar eclipse is just now. And it's like there's a massive slice, just a bite, a nice clean bite. Not even with just a slice taken out of the moon or taken out of the sun. It's brilliant. Uh, and they've got it up there on a Zoom call right now. And it's been watched by schools. I see where the school from Skull Nicklaus in Frankfield are watching on YouTube at the moment. Loads of schools actually watching it around the country. Uh, St. Columbus, fifth class, are watching it on the YouTube. And loads of other places uh, watching the live stream of the partial eclipse of the eclipse is going on at the moment. The video is a bit dull because of the cloud, but it's brilliant. It's brilliant. We're right at the peak of it right now. You can unfortunately look out at that grot. Would you take one look out at that grot, like, out there? Um, and there's no hope of seeing any effect of it here in the city at the moment. I don't know where it is uh, near you. 
But up the country, they seem to be, and they seem to have a real bad cloud cover, which is spoiling our enjoyment of the eclipse. 1857 Get back to Katrina Toomey. We were talking to her before 10 this morning about the fact that people now are so desperate for a place to sleep and a bite to eat and help with their addiction and, you know, just a bit of comfort for a while that they're actually committing crimes to get put into prison. It's not a new thing, but she said it's prevalent and she said you are, people are that desperate they are just committing little public order offences and stuff to get put away for a wee while um, because it's some level of comfort. Well, Katrina was on me before 10. What she didn't mention at the time, we had a call to say that she is just home from hospital. Uh, she had a major health scare, but she's thankfully home now. We wish her well. And she wanted to know, could we thank on her behalf all the doctors, nurses and staff at the Mercy for what they did for her, and especially her own GP, Dr. Ronan Boland. That woman is a treasure, and everyone looking after her is a treasure. Uh, so our best of luck to our beloved Katrina for a speedy recovery. And she was in good form on the phone now, to be fair. Tough woman. 1850-715-996. Loads more, loads more coming in about vaccines. Uh, here's one. Can anybody tell me what is the story with the housebound and vaccinations? We have someone who is in her 90s and still not vaccinated. The doctor has registered her and says a paramedic will have to call out to do it. We live in the town, so we're not even out of the way. That's, that's horrible. People falling through the cracks like that. Because I know it wasn't the National Ambulance Service at one point doing that. Were there not soldiers asked at one point to bring a paramedic or a nurse out to vaccinate people who were isolated like that and and housebound? Is there anybody else out there who's housebound and hasn't had a a, a vaccine or an appointment for the vaccine yet? We're also reminded with regard to coming over from the UK, even if you're double vaccinated, as John was saying before 11, you can still get COVID when you're vaccinated. This uh, text, you can still get COVID when you're vaccinated. You can also carry COVID when you're vaccinated. You can. Both of those things are true. But looking at the data from John Campbell and others, the likelihood of you being transmissible is much, much reduced. And if you need to get a test, why not? Now, why not an antigen test? particularly if you're double vaccinated. If you have to get a test, why not an engine test? Why an expensive PCR test? More on that in a wee while. Uh, 1850-715-996. You can work yourself to death. Did you know that? You can work yourself into a sense of stress that your work will actually make you sick. And this is sometimes, no matter how much you love your job... And since we've been working from home so much, and since some bosses, I say some bosses, have taken advantage of people working at home and they've had their working at 7 and 8 and 9 o'clock at night when they shouldn't be, people are overworking even though they're at home. Sinead Brady is a career and coaching psychologist and has been looking into this. Sinead, hi there. 
Hi PJ, how are you? Very, very good. Working long hours goes with many jobs. It goes with the territory in many jobs. But it can also be bad for your health, mental and physical. And particularly, I suppose, if you are working at home and working long hours, you don't have the break, even if the break of the commute is sitting in traffic. You don't have the break. This is such a a big topic, I think, at the moment, and particularly with the Taoiseach suggesting and the Taunish that we might be returning to offices come August. Um, Yeah, like long working hours, we know that the number of hours that people have worked during the pandemic have increased, despite the fact that people are working from home. Um, So people have this kind of, as you say, always on kind of vibe. And it's really hard to escape work when work is at the kitchen table or in the bedroom or, you know, and not everybody is privileged enough to have a home office or a space in their house that they can go to that is a complete shut away from their work. So work during the pandemic has been working at home during an emergency as opposed to kind of true working from home. Mm. Um, Because we really weren't set up for it as the boundaries of work and life crashed together. So as we work longer hours, we know that it impacts our health. Mm. And it impacts it in different ways. So it can be chronic fatigue, it can be burnout, it can be depression, anxiety, it can be hypertension, and then it can be just general kind of, you know that where you're snapping at everybody in the house that you Mm. share with, and you know where you're just edgy and uncomfortable all of the time. And it's because we just don't have this um, transition from work to life and life to work in a way that we had before. So there's a couple of things happening. Many professions wear kind of as a badge of honour the length of time they were actually at work. So it doesn't really matter if you're productive in that time, Mm. (laughs) ultimately, but it's about presence and visibility and being there. But what we, what's really important as we make this transition back into the workplace, which is now, we once talked about the workplace of the future. The workplace of the future is now. Yeah. So as we transition back, it's about workplaces and ourselves as workers understanding how to transition between work and non-work when work and non-work activities happen in the home. So one of the things that you mentioned there and it's really important to think about that is your commute could actually have been your way of switching on to work and your way of switching off from work, Mm -hmm. particularly if you walked to work um, or if you cycled to work or if you, you know, really enjoyed the browse of the morning newspapers or your favourite app or, you Mm. know, whatever it was or listened to yourself on the radio. And that was kind of, as you went to work, that was your switch on. You left the house. Yes, it was a bit of a rush. But as you left, that was kind of your brain telling you that now you're switching from non-work activities into work activities. Mm -hmm. And you did the same on the way home. And you probably had a routine as you left the workplace and maybe switch off your um, technology, tidy up your desk, grab a coffee, change your shoes, and then you headed out the door of the office or wherever it is that you worked. Mm. But that has stopped with with working from home. It's it's making clear boundaries between what is work and what is not work. Absolutely. And they're called cognitive triggers. So, or psychological bridges when you work from home. So when work and home happen in the same place, you need to create a new routine that tells you that you are now switching or swapping from work to non-work activities. Mm. So, for example... It might be that you do, your kitchen table is where you do your work. That's where you work from home or your bedroom because that's the nature of, you know, small homes and... and We don't don't always have a spare room that you can use. 
Absolutely. So what I would be saying to you is very important. Have like one of those clear containers or a box or something that your work equipment goes into at the end of your work day. So actually tidy it up and put it into that box and put that box away. Because if you leave the laptop open on the kitchen table or in your bedroom and it's not switched off and not switched on, you haven't actually told your brain that you're switching off from work. But not alone that, every time you see it sitting on your kitchen table, you have a cognitive trigger that reminds you of work. So you don't ever actually get to shut down. Mea culpa. (laughs) Don't we all do it? I I have this thing. We have, I do about half our day is done from home or half my day is done from home once I finish here. But that laptop and those notebooks and everything else is there all the time. I may, I might put it away at the weekend. No, I leave the, I leave the table and walk away from it and not think of it. The reason I leave it there is it's just convenient. Absolutely. And if something pops into your brain or your mind or, you know, you've got somewhere to jot it down. So absolutely, if that is the case um, and it's convenient, but that convenience can actually be a trigger and you don't realise that your brain is constantly been reminded of what you're doing at work. So if you don't have that clear kind of, particularly if you're, if you like to segment or you like to break between work and life, it's very important that you put your work gear, whatever it is, away out of sight. And the old saying, out of sight, out of mind, really is important in this context. It is true. Should you dress for work at home? In other words, I wouldn't come in here in my pyjamas. Yes. So should I should I be sitting at the kitchen table in pyjamas? Look, I, I suppose we've seen all the pictures of um, people, you know, dressed from the waist up and pyjamas yeah. from the legs down or whatever, the waist down. But that's a very personal thing. Um, for some people, it's a really important thing to do because it actually, again, it's one of those cognitive triggers. It's part of the routine that tells you that you're switching on to work. And I would suggest that everybody has three small routines around switching on to work that tells your brain you're switching from work to non-work and non-work to work. So that might involve having to put on, take off the pyjama bottoms and go out for a walk for five minutes if your regular commute to work would have involved a walk. Um, And that means you get dressed for work and then you take your um, equipment out of the box that I suggest and you put it onto the table. End of the day, go for the walk again, put your equipment into the box and go back into the pyjama bottoms if you want. Some people are more productive when they the pyjama bottoms, some people are less productive. So it's very much about how it makes you feel. Okay. Um, so I've worked from home for years now. Um, I have a consultancy business and um, I've worked from home for years. It's very important for me personally to have um, a set of work clothes on. For other people I meet, it's absolutely of no value to them at all. Yeah. So it's very much what you decide in very that much routine. down to the individual. Productivity absolutely. and the number of, pro- of productive hours that you have in the day. I've talked a lot, Sinead, with other guests on the opinion line about something that I like to think I'm good at and that I think works very effectively for me as an individual and that is mm-hmm. task-based working. In other words, here are a number of tasks Um, we'll say six, that have to be done today. It doesn't matter if they take you four hours or eight hours. If you get your six tasks done, they're done. 
Yeah, and and I think um, there's a couple of things around that. Um, Productivity is about output. It's about what you can do um, and what you can produce. And that really, as a human, we are only able to do very, very focused, deep work for four hours per day. Your, your concentration span, your ability to be engaged, your ability to enter into a state where you are truly engaged in what you're doing is for a maximum of four hours. So um, now other things like admin tasks and tidying up bits and that kind of stuff, we can do that kind of repetitive stuff for quite long periods of time. But when we're talking about getting into the nuts and bolts of work and doing something that needs an output that's very creative or very involved, we absolutely can only work for about four hours per day and then we need a break. So um, the four-hour work week or the four-day work week kind of is, a, I suppose, a shiny marketing ploy on that. But ultimately, four hours is what we're looking at. Um, And what we should be doing is, I always suggest to people... When you are working on a sticky note, write the focus word or the task, perhaps, PJ, that you might have on the sticky note and put that on your computer screen. And every time you get distracted from what you're doing, just look at the sticky note in front of you Mm. to remind you of the task that you're focusing on. And that will help you with your productivity. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so things like that are really important, but about four hours. So, you know, you're looking at a 20 hour work week and we've, oodles of research that tells us that between 20 and 26 hour work week is actually, 28 is actually the, the, the sweet spot for, for um, somebody in a, in a white collar role, you know. Lastly and briefly, Sinead, if we are working too hard, how would we know it? If you are working well, too hard. Yeah, so things will start to happen that you'll notice, for example, you might get a bit of, start to get that niggly back pain. You might get your shoulder pain. You might begin to get headaches. You'll notice that little bit of irritation with others around you. Again, it would be very different for different people, but you might notice that your skin begins to break out. You might notice that, you know, the glass of wine or whatever it is that you like look forward to at the weekend, you're actually starting to think about that a little bit earlier in the week. It might be that the amount of coffee that you're drinking needs to increase. So I would suggest to you, um, if that those small telltale physiological signs are starting to um, to show, to actually begin to think and go, okay, ask us five really simple questions. What you know? Did I move today? Did I eat well today? Did I spend time with people that make me smile? And did I spend time in fresh air? Those really simple questions will actually help you to understand if you're working too hard. Because if you didn't eat, if you didn't move, if you didn't sleep well the previous night, spend time with people who make you smile and get outside, you are doing too much work. Okay, all right. And you need to to kind of just rain check on those. Okay. Your website, SineadBrady.org, and your Instagram, and SineadBrady. People can follow your work there and I presume consult with you as well. Thanks very much. That's Sinead Brady, who is a career and coaching psychologist about working too hard. Thank you, Sinead. About working too hard. And at home is a nice little honey trap. You can be reeled into working way too hard at home. Uh, The thing about the laptop on the kitchen table, my son is always slagging me about that but my my laptop has been sitting on a kitchen table or a dining room table or wherever I choose to make my home workspace it's been there for 20 years and I don't think it's going anywhere soon
but it's not the best thing. Put away the working stuff at the end of the working day. 1857 1596. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. I know Texas is an incredible city. Using gun-toting, oil barren kind of like... Is, 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 is there like 10 gallon hats of fellas with guns on? Do people get thrown out of windows in pubs? No, it's it's not the when you Wild walk into West. a bar, when, when you walk into a bar, there's a fella playing the piano. Stop Does he playing. stop and everyone look at you? Does the barman always pour a nondescript drink into a small glass and slide it towards you? Yeah. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city. A long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at milldc.com. Cork's 96F. Oh yeah, a lot of stuff coming in now about people uh, missing out on vaccines because they're at home. Kira says my uncle is bedbound in his late 60s, hasn't been vaccinated yet. The HSE registration line gave me the number for the ambulance service when I registered him. The ambulance service said for his GP to send on a referral, which the GP did four weeks ago, and we still haven't heard anything back. Also, Jennifer was on about her mother. Jennifer says, my mother is 80. She's still not vaccinated. She's bed-bound, so it needs to be done at home. I have no answers from anyone. Got on to TDs, to doctors, to HSE, to National Ambulance Service. I've rang everyone and still no answer. Patsy's call to the opinion line this morning uh, in our first hour, and you'll hear it on the podcast when it goes up in the afternoon, uh, has opened a can of worms that we kind of knew was there and we kind of knew it was under the surface and we were getting a lot of messages over the last few days. And uh, when Patsy came on this morning, she's lots of people saying, hang on, this isn't happening, or hang on, that's not happening, or hang on, we're all vaccinated, but my mum, who's 80, isn't. What's wrong there? So we might delve a little deeper into this one uh, over the, the next while and see if we get answers as to why people are being left out. 1857-15996. Watching the match the other night, the Ireland-Hungary friendly. Um, interesting experience. Like a match that matters very little. Obviously, just as a friendly. It matters more for Hungary in a way than it mattered for us because they're going to the Euros and we are not. But generally speaking, people were quite happy with the Irish performance in that match and specifically with the performance of the Cork lads. There was a huge Cork contingent in that squad, including the first African-born lad ever to play for Ireland. He's grown up in Cork, his name is Chidozi Ogbeni and uh, he was brilliant and in in a few minutes he was on the pitch. Uh, just bringing in our old man Trevor Welsh from The Score. Trevor, as I was watching that young lad on the pitch I got an excitement about him that every time he gets near the ball he's likely to do something. These kids are the future aren't they? Good morning. Yeah, good morning Peach. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean it was a great moment obviously for uh Shadozi Obeni, uh, as you mentioned, uh, the first uh, African-born player to play 
at senior level for the Republic of Ireland. And I agree, when he came on, he looked, uh, mainly, we, we all know he's got pace and power, Peach, and I think we're lacking that in that department the last part of the pitch. And uh, I was disappointed and he got about three or four minutes, but mm. uh, in that spell he made his mark. Did. I was hoping he'd get at least 20 minutes because Stephen Kenny would have known a lot about the likes of Dar Hogg and other players that came on. Uh, but I thought he might give him around 20 minutes. But I think uh, he will he will use him um, in, the, in the next match. He'll give him more time, I'm sure, yeah. because uh, he made his mark. Didn't he? Yeah, he, he had that hunger in his eyes, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Um, he's um, you know he's all about pace, and he had a chance for the winner as well. Uh, Paige, he hasn't scored a lot of goals in his career. If he had that bit of composure in front of goal, I think he's the complete article. Because, um, you know, he did get that chance. And uh, as you mentioned as well, it was a very good performance by Ireland because Hungary are in the Euros, as, as you also mentioned. And that was supposed to be their uh, big party for their fans. Mm. The ground was not nearly full, it was nearly a sellout. Um, and, uh, you know, Ireland stifled them and had chances to win it. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the Cork contingent there as well. There was five um, Cork men on the pitch at uh, any given time. There's seven Cork fellas in the squad, which is the biggest ever uh, from a Cork viewpoint. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think all the Cork lads did well. Cueving Keller. Oh, course, no, he, he was brilliant. Yeah, made two great saves. He I mean, saved that draw. He absolutely yeah, he saved that draw. Yeah, two point blank saves. And uh, that's what he's all about. He's improving all the time. Uh, with the coaching he's getting at a top club with Liverpool, obviously, uh, Peach is only 22. And you mentioned the, the young lads in the future, and that's very much true. Um, you know, I think Stephen Kenny uh, was under a lot of pressure coming in for the last 10 days before they beat Andorra 4-1 and that draw with Hungary. You know, it was being touted that uh, it, it's the beginning of the end, actually, for the Irish boss. But now maybe people are saying it's the end of the beginning, mm. uh, you know, because um, he will get time, I'm sure, with this project. Um, how much time I'm not sure you know he did very well with the under 21 Stephen Kenny but it's a results game and you know the only danger if we if we don't start winning matches you know could slip down the, the rankings mm. make, which makes it harder for us to qualify you get a, the, 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 the further down the rankings you are the harder your group for the, for the tournaments but I was going mm. to talk to you about that the, the, first of all the Cork lads are we just is it just luck or is it that all these guys have been quietly coming through and we've not noticed yeah, there's, there's been a few of them around for a bit. Obviously, um, you know, Kevin Kevin Long didn't play, he was injured. Uh, John Egan, they're the two centre-backs from Cork. Uh, Cueven Keller, you mentioned, the keeper, he's he's been making great strides. He was with Stephen Kenny and the under-21s as well. Delighted he made his senior debut. We spoke to him on the score uh, exclusively a couple of months ago and he's a very good, good light, great attitude. Then you have John Egan, uh, we mentioned, sorry, we mentioned John Egan, Kevin Long. In midfield, Conor Horan and Alan Brown. Uh, very technically good players and up front then Shadozi and uh, Adam Ida who both have played for College Corinthians. So they're very much the future and we know we spoke on your program before, Page, about the lack of goals. We haven't been scoring goals at all but all of a sudden you look at Shadozi and uh, Aaron Connolly who's injured as well but they've got pace. Adam Ida and uh, Troy Parrott who scored twice against yeah. Andorra. He's only 19. So all of those coming through together and all of a sudden we could have a goal threat going forward. Yeah, yeah. Stephen Kenny like you said, and the Andorra was a kind of a, a must win. Now, you'd kind of think right here at 96 of M, we'd put a few lads together, we should be able to beat Andorra ourselves. <laughs> yeah. But but, yeah. but but that's not the point, is it, Trevor? He, he won that match, and no matter how light it is, it could be a turning point, because to be fair to the man, uh, he has a track record of being very good at nurturing young talent, talent and that is what we need right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the win was a huge weight off his shoulders. You could tell in the press conference, he did afterwards, Peach, 
a huge uh, sense of relief, even though it was only Andorra. And we went the goal behind, which would have been absolutely the end of them if we didn't come back. At, uh, uh, but, um, you know, those goals will give the, the squad a lot of confidence. Uh, Troy Parrott in particular, the young lad only 19, scored twice. He looks very good. His movement is fantastic. Plays in the hole as a number 10. Uh, you know, but the, the quality of goals are very good. Good to see Darl Horgan score as well. And, uh, you know, that brought him on to the next step against Hungary, who are 10 places above us in the world rankings, mm. as you mentioned, in, in the Euros. Uh, so that will that will bring us on really strongly. It's, uh, our next mm. game is, is obviously the World Cup qualifier against Portugal, which is uh, a huge challenge, obviously, against yeah. the European champions. And, that that uh, is one you kind of watch with your, with your, through your fingers, really, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, and we've lost, as you know, the last, the first two games of yeah. the World Cup qualifiers. We lost to Luxembourg, which is a huge disappointment, and to Serbia. So we've little chance of qualifying for the, the 2022 World Cup. Mm. And 2 was our last World Cup final stage. I know. Uh, we, but you know, we does that not then give, I suppose, obviously you grow to compete and you, you grow to try to get a result out of every game, but, but does it not give Kenny an opportunity to, to work with guys like Chidozi a little bit more and to maybe perfect what he's got when there's still a tournament to be fought for but that would be the that would be the dream but to get it to, to do the best you can with the rest of your campaign is what he should be doing now yeah definitely and I mean I think to be fair like you look at Irish soccer at the moment from grassroots page and what Stephen Kenny is trying to implement is you know that's the future of football you know the technical side of it um, they're, they're playing that type of football uh, are underage in, in Ireland mm. with the Irish teams, the underage Irish teams, right up through the structure up to the, the 21s and the senior team. And that's what he wants, the future for Ireland to be playing good football, attractive football, that the fans can come and watch good football being played. And, uh, you know, he feels that he has the players. I mean, it's a, it's a big squad now when you look at the, the squad as a whole, when everybody's fit, because to be fair to Stephen, he was very unlucky, obviously, with, uh, you know, uh, the COVID, a few players got COVID along the way and there was a lot of injuries he had to deal with. But I think a fully fit Irish squad now with those young fellas coming through, I think, you know, all is not lost. I think we can be optimistic about uh, getting results, getting positive results going forward. Might be too late for this World Cup, hmm. but the next big tournament, uh, I'm sure that's what Stephen Kenny's aiming for. And for Ireland to have a good foundation and good players coming through and playing attractive football. It'll be it'll be good to watch. It'll, it'll be something worth watching, at least. So, Trevor, the Euro's getting underway, my man. Mm-hmm. Where will I put my fiver? <laughs> I think France... Um, I just think they've a great squad, Page. Um, you saw Kante there in the, in the Champions League final for Chelsea in midfield. Uh, a terrific, terrific warrior. Um, uh, Pogba, if he gets his act together. I mean, the very strong up front, obviously, with uh, Griezmann. Benzema is a, is a, is a worry from now because uh, he got injured. But Giroud seems to be scoring for them. I mean, all round, they're very strong defensively. Great keeper. I think they have the squad. Uh, outside bet, I'd say, you know, Belgium mightn't be far away. Um, Italy, you know, they haven't been around for a while, but I think they could come strong as well. So they might be two. England, maybe to the semi-finals. I mean, if you look at England's squad, they're probably the best squad of players. But it's just getting the right balance for England, for Garrett Sokert, and mm. the fact that they always seem to fail when it comes to the, the final hurdle. But they have a few matches in Wembley, Peach, home advantage. I think they'll be hard to beat on the day, England as well. They could make the, t- the last four. Any commentary duty for you? No, not at the moment. Um, you know, you never know, though. You're, you're, you're on standby all the time. Uh, if anything comes up, I, I'd love to make a trip for a few games, all right? <laughs> so you would. It's been a while now since you got, a, got to an away game. Trevor Welsh of The Score on Cork's 96 of M. Thank you. And, of course, of Premier League Live with TalkSport uh, in the season.
and that'll be back for the next season. Thanks, Trev. 1850-715-996. An exciting young lad, that Chidozi Ogbeni. And watch him. Watch him. He is the future. And his. Oh, and I thought Kelleher was just phenomenal the other night. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Cork's 96FM. Still stuff coming in about uh, the vaccines. We've got a caller who has been listening to Kingston Mills, Professor Kingston Mills, who's been on the show quite regularly. And we may try and see what he has to say directly, but this isn't a direct quote. The best efficacy could be from a mix and match of vaccines, not a small effect either, 70% better than the best of the two vaccines mixed. I think the government should get on top of this at top speed, says our caller, because all, with all the variants around the world, the more powerful the immunity you have, the better. Uh, yeah, there's still a lot of talk about that mixture of vaccines. If you're a Bruce Springsteen fan, and you want to go to see him on Broadway, he's putting that wonderful show of his, Springsteen on Broadway, back on for a season. Uh, this is running from June 26th until the 4th of September at the St. James's Theatre in Broadway. It'll be the first show back on Broadway. It's just a two-hour show, Springsteen, a guitar and a piano. Obviously, it's a must-see show if you're a Springsteen fan. But when the tickets went on sale, you have to be vaccinated and you have to have proof of vaccination if anyone under 16 is attending they're obviously not vaccinated but must have a negative test and can only attend with a fully vaccinated adult those are the terms and conditions for buying a ticket for springsteen on broadway this summer christy moore then on the other hand is playing one of our pilot gigs at the INEC in Killarney, Saturday 26th of June. Here's an interesting one. The tickets for this one being sold in bundles of six. So you can't just buy two tickets. So you can't just ring up the INEC and say, I'd like to buy two tickets for Christy Moore on the 26th. You can't. You have to buy six. Because they will seat people in groups of six and they have a maximum capacity of about 200 people. And they will sit them in groups of six. So the only selling tickets for that Christy Moore gig in the INEC in bunches of six. Total cost of six tickets, €237 plus booking fees. Oh, you get your money back if anyone gets COVID-19, by the way. It's just one of a number of of gigs and events coming up in theatres and gigs around the country very soon. We'll catch up with that before the end of the show. But let's go to Sean Lynch. We had Sean Lynch on before about the Open Litter Map, his openlittermap.com project. We just thought we'd a good time to revisit it because of the opening of our society and the terrible problems we've had with litter over the last few weekends. And we would hope that we would be able to do something about it now as we head into opening up the economy. Sean, go back over again with us, will you, what the Open Litter Map is. Good morning to you. Hi, PJ. So we're turning Cleaning the Planet into a game. We're making an app where people can use their devices to collect data on litter that they find when they're walking around. If you're doing a cleanup, if you're waiting for your buddy or for the bus, you can take out your device. And your device is a really powerful instrument that can collect data about where you are 
and then we can take photos of litter and with those photos we can tell what type of litter it is where it's ending up and with that data then and there's a few things that we can do with it Um, we can improve the visibility of litter so for many people litter has become normal become invisible and Mm. blended into the background of our lives when we start crowdsourcing this data and making maps with it it removes that blindness we call it trash blindness and, and, and people never really see the streets the same way ever again. So, so I, I download the app and then they so, just so, look at so it. We've got a website yeah. and we've got an app. And the, the website has the map. Um, it's more interactive. And you can visit the global map. You can zoom in on Cork. You can see all the litter that we've mapped in Cork. So I take a walk around the lock. And when I'm walking around the lock, I take photos of every cigarette butt every bit of broken glass, every can, every bottle. And then when I get home, I open the app and I select all those photos and I tag all the litter that I found. And then the global map gets updated with all that data. Okay. So if, if, you're, if, it's, if a teacher is, is giving a talk to kids in the class about school, they can now open up this map and they can zoom in on the litter in Cork. And when people see just a cigarette box, it's, it, it's not really that visible. People have become normalized to it. But when it's presented to people, especially young people who expect this technology, when it's presented to them in a medium that they can relate to, and it, it's, it, it's educated to them through their devices, people really start to see the litter a lot more because it's presented to them in this digital medium. Do you, you think that powerful. people might see their own area as getting a bit of a bad rap on, on the website and then maybe make more of an effort to keep it clean. Well, that's true, but a lot of our um, users of the app are volunteers who pick up litter, and what they want to do is record what they're finding, and they're recording their positive environmental impact. So we have a number of corporate users as well. I was recently contacted by a large uh, multinational in Cork who've got a couple of hundred people on their sustainability program, and they're interested in measuring um, what they're finding and measuring the benefit that they're giving to society. So it's not about saying, look how bad the area is. It's saying, look about the good effort that we're making and how can we quantify that and actually measure it so they can do a better job next time or we can get companies now competing against each other. So I've got two corporate users at the moment and uh, I'm interested to see who can do a better job. And it brings an element of fun and gamification. So that's what we're doing is we're turning cleaning the planet into a game. Okay. So the app, it's like Pokemon Go for Tidy Town. (laughs) I like that. And where's your data, Captain? Who's using it? Uh, So our data is open, right? And that's why it's called Open Litter Map. Anyone can download the data. So universities, the city council, researchers, everybody gets open and unlimited access to download all the data. So instead of saying only these people are allowed to um, characterize pollution or only these people are only uh, allowed to find solutions, we're saying everybody can use okay. it. Students can use it for their homework. University students can use it for a project. Um, mm. and, and everyone has the same access to Councils access. could use it for bins, laying bins out bins. And, and evaluating policy, policy as well. Yeah, so yeah. Ireland was the first country in the world to introduce a, a ban on smoking. Uh, indoors, and while that was a huge benefit to public health, uh, it brought all the smokers outside and may have resulted in a huge increase in, in cigarette litter, which is poisoning water quality globally. Or oh, we were the first country in the world to introduce a, a tax on plastic bags. 
Um, so we're very progressive okay. when it comes to um, legislation. and We spend millions on it. But what we don't do is we, we haven't really evaluated how successful it's been. So many countries like Germany have um, deposit return systems for cans and bottles. And when, when we finally bring that in, we need to know how good was it. And then we need to know what we're going to do next. Okay. Um, so we, can, we, we don't do that by making stuff up and guessing. We do that with collecting data. Okay. And what we're trying to do with the app, Open Litter Map, is empower people to crowdsource that data okay. on how, how litter is changing in, over space and time. Because it's not consistent. It's incredibly dynamic. Yeah. So, so people can effectively help the collection of litter data from their area that can go into everything like policy and how we clean up and how we mind our litter and clean up our litter. Sean, thank you very much. Uh, OpenLitterMap.com for more information and download it to your phone and take pictures and be part of the solution, not part of the problem. As it were, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Yeah, I think I'll drop that one, uh, Terry. Uh, we'll go straight to them if we can. Just to remind people, the winning starts on Monday because Cork's ninety six M's free speaker frenzy. It's a coming. We have loads of cool new smart speakers to give away every day. All starts Monday the fourteenth. What we will do is there'll be a queue to text or WhatsApp, and if we call you back and you repeat the phrase, play Cork's 96FM, you'll win a smart speaker. We have loads of them. Loads of them. Just we call you back, and you use that phrase that pays. Play Cork's 96FM. It's all with Blackpool, fully opened up. It's great to be back. See blackpool.ie, and the winning starts Monday here on Cork's 96FM. Now, we talked about Christy Moore and the INEC and other gigs, and we know that there's a an opera gig in the Opera House on the 10th of July uh, as an experimental gig. We've got, there's one in Dublin this weekend. Is it James Vincent McMorrow is doing a gig. There's something planned for the Phoenix Park to see just how we get back into live entertainment. Uh, and a good time to talk, I suppose, to Sophie Motley, who is the new artistic director of the Everyman, and she's only been there since January, so still settling in. Sophie, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good, and welcome to the Opinion Line. Is the when when are we likely to be able to go and see something in the Everyman? Do you think? Well, in, in, in seeing something literally in the Everyman, we're hoping we'll be at the end of the summer. Uh, we've got we've still got quite a lot of preparation to do of the building to make it safe for audiences to come in. And it's fantastic to be able to have live performances, but we want to make sure we do it right and we want to make sure that people are safe when they come in uh, because it's so important, I think, when you're going into a building uh, that you feel safe sitting in there to watch the performance. If you don't feel safe, then you can't enjoy it so much, I don't think. Mm. So you've got to work with all the various HSE and all those to, to, to get set up then? Exactly, yeah. There's, there's a lot of planning to do and our teams are all planning on how to do it um, very, very hard. Uh, we've, we've a lot of plans in place. We've a lot of work going on inside the building to make sure that we've got enough space for people, to make sure that we've got enough toilets, that we're able to socially distance audience members inside mm. the building. So we're working very hard on it and hoping to have people back inside the building uh, in September. Uh, but until then... You've got we, other events, of course. You've got a, a whole programme across the summer. 
We do, yes. We've got we've got a lot of digital program coming up with the midsummer. So at the moment, the building feels really alive because we've got uh, we've got to the lighthouse in there, which is uh, there's eight actors on stage right now, uh, rehearsing and filming for camera. So that play will be released on online, so you can watch it online, which is a slightly different experience. But I think for the for for McCurtain Street and for the building, she's delighted to have to have artists in there. Yeah. Yeah, that's so important, really. And the online stuff has saved not just a lot of artists, but a lot of venues because you just buy a ticket and it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't cover it. But at least it's something. Exactly, it's absolutely something. And people of Cork have been so generous to the Everyman uh, in terms of buying tickets for the online events and in terms of donating as well. We've we've been really, really lucky uh, to have so much support. People want us to be open, and we can't wait to be open and to properly open the doors. Until then, we're, we're hoping to be able to bring some uh, everyman performances outdoors in the summer as well. So we're, we're planning on being outdoors in Elizabeth Fort with the support of the City Council a little bit later in the summer as well. So we're, we're hoping to have people outdoors before we bring them indoors. And for now, it's still online. Mm-hmm. You've, got, you've got a great show online. Is it running at the moment? Mary and Me, my friend Irene Kelleher, that, that show, that's brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic, and it's a really great example, PJ, of of the fantasticness of Cork artists being able to turn something that was originally a stage play into something that feels like a film. Uh, it's filmed in the Everyman, but it's also filmed on location, so you've got a sense of being out there uh, in the countryside as well as uh, being inside the theatre, yet you can sit down in your own house and watch it. So it's nice to have the on-demand and be able to think, oh, will I watch a play? Will I will I watch a gig? What time do I want to watch the gig? Will I watch it at ten o'clock mm. when I'm ready to watch it? So I think there's a lot of freedom for people as well in the online. Yeah, it's been a tough time financially. There's no painting over that crack. But is there funding out there? Have you been supported by, say, the Arts Council and other and the government? And we have. We've been very lucky. We've been supported by the Arts Council and the City Council, uh, and we've been supported by donations from our audiences. Um, and um, without that, we wouldn't have kept going because we're so reliant on our box office. For, uh, we're reliant on people buying tickets in order to keep the building open. So um, we've been very lucky to be supported through it. Um, and we're incredibly grateful to everybody who's supported us because people have supported us far and wide from across the city. For you personally, Sophie, it's a bit of a baptism of fire, isn't it? Coming in as artistic director for such a such a prestigious and favourite, much much loved theatre in the middle of a pandemic. It is. I mean, in a way, it's a privilege because we had a live streamed Lisa Hannigan gig a couple of weeks yeah. back there, and I was one of four people in the audience. And uh, there's moments like that where you look around that building and imagine what it'll be like when it's full and think, uh, I, I'm, I'm here and this is my job and I'm in charge of this amazing building. And, yeah. and it's a huge responsibility. But I guess it's also time for me to get to know the city and get to know people um, before, before we're up to 90 and hoping to be running pantos and, uh, and, and have full houses of people in the building. And you know, I, Sophie, that you mentioned that word there, pantos. There were heartbreaking decisions made last summer. Have we got any idea at all when we might be able to make this year's decisions? Because they were starting to be made around this time last year. They were, and I can tell you, Peter, that we are really strongly hoping that we will be able to have a panto this year um we're we're having those conversations at the moment uh, it may be that we don't have a completely full auditorium 
Um, but we are hoping that we will still have our panto. Okay, we'll um, talk because it was devastating losing it last year. Oh, it was year. awful. It was awful. It was awful. It's awful to lose the Everyman period, but to lose the panto is one of the best events of the whole year. Even for a, a fellow like me, it's still one of my favourite events. The Everyman panto. Sophie, uh, first of all, great to have you on the opinion line for the first time. The new artistic director of the Everyman Theatre. It's coming back, lads. Thank you, Sophie. It's coming back. It's coming back, and it's so so exciting. And by the way, can I give? A shameless plug, she's a pal of mine. And this is one of the best shows you'll ever watch if you're into Irish theatre. Mary and Me by Irene Kelleher. Go to the Everyman website and you'll find out to get a ticket and get a stream and all that. It's absolutely wonderful and I highly, highly recommend that you do it. I'm going to watch it myself at home over the weekend. That's it from today for the programme. Edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We should see you tomorrow just after nine. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream.